Hey guys, Corey Allen here with the Overton Report. Listen, we sat down with Adam Curran of Curran Financial Partners out of Charleston, South Carolina. He did such a great job of enlightening us, the layman, on the situation that's happening in the banking system right now. Now, before we start this interview that I'm about to show you, I want to remind you guys, he has an ETF on the New York Stock Exchange right now that's called YALL. If you search Y-A-L-L, it is an anti-ESG, anti-woke ETF. So it encompasses a bunch of different companies that are not woke, don't put out virtue signaling nonsense about uh, whatever social justice issue of the day is popular. They are just businesses that make decisions based on business and they keep your pocketbook from putting money into uber woke companies and that is huge. Adam Curran uh, runs Curran Financial Partners. They're very good at helping you invest for your retirement and and for your future. Definitely check him out. He's got a radio show on 94.3 in Charleston and it's up and down the coast of South Carolina every weekend. Kind of explains to you what's going on in the markets and what you uh, should be on the lookout for. But he was gracious enough to join us and talk to us about what's really going on with the bank collapses that we're seeing all across, well, it was all across the country, but now it's all across the world. And I'll tell you, I definitely came out of this interview much more informed than when I went into it. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not asking people questions that I already know the answers to. I want to learn alongside you, the listener, and that was my goal here. And I'll tell you, I accomplished that goal here. My name is Corey Allen, The Overton Report. You can find us at YouTube. Just search The Overton Report. You can find me on Facebook, Corey.Allen.Overton, or you can sign up with TheOvertonReport.Substack.com. And you can always hear us right here at Big Patriot Radio every Monday night at 6 p.m. Enjoy the show, and I hope you learn half as much as I did. Corey Allen here, and we are joined with uh, by Adam Curran. He runs Curran Financial Partners uh, out of the Low Country, and he's here today to talk to us about this financial quagmire we found ourselves in. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing good, Corey. I, when you called and said, hey, let's do this, I was like chomping at the bit because I, I almost want to rift with you a little bit because I know your DNA, God-fearing, flag-waving, conservative slash maybe libertarian, touch of that in you. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of have a unique take on, on, on the Fed and the Treasury's bailout of Silicon Valley Bank. And Let's get into it. Yeah, for sure. So, so you say bailout of the bank. But I, I know that I've heard a lot of people uh, say that it's it's not exactly it's not it's not exactly a bailout of the bank, but of the depositors. Is that right? That, that's exactly right, and, and I agree. You know, bailout I think is the wrong term. Bailout harkens back to the financial crisis in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, where we saw the big investment banks over leverage themselves. Some of these banks were leveraged thirty, forty, fifty to one. Uh, by creating exotic financial products, credit default swaps, credit default obligations, and they all went kaput, and it, it became a game of musical chairs where they were all basically, you know, swapping the products onto each other's balance sheets, and then the music stopped. And of course, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns went belly up, uh, and the remaining actors were bailed out. They were deemed to be too big to fail, 
And we basically, as American citizens, owned those investment banks by just literally printing money and, and putting it in our deficit. And then uh, most of that money did get paid back to, to play devil's advocate here. Um, but in essence, we rewarded terrible risk management. We rewarded drunken investment propositions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is not quite like that. This is not a bailout per se. This is a classic run on a bank. And now the Federal Reserve and Treasury and FDIC have come in and said, we're going to make depositors whole. So I don't like that word bailout either. Okay. Yeah. So so just to kind of fill people in. So we had Silicon Valley Bank, which does a lot of stuff in the tech sector uh, and, and also does a lot of payroll work, apparently. Uh, they failed. What was it? Friday. Is that right? Or Thursday? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And then over the weekend, uh, apparently Signature Bank, which Barney Frank, who we're about to talk about, he was a uh, board member there. They also failed. So Barney Frank has said that this is the, mostly caused by uh, risky investments in crypto and and that and that sort of thing. What's your take on that? Why why did this happen? Yeah. So uh, here, I, the most troubling thing that I've seen from my vantage point is the twenty five year old quote unquote journalist telling the world that this reminds them of 2008 all over again when they were 10 years old (laughs) or someone like barty frank you know who doesn't know cryptocurrency from you know raffle tickets that come out of a ski mall machine uh saying that this was crypto related so let me let me go back to the beginning on i I can speak very eloquently to silicon valley bank please do my understanding signature bank which is kind of the redheaded stepchild right now that's the third largest bank failure and no one's really talking about it everyone's fixing their eyes on silicon valley bank because they were bigger than signature and that's the second right that's the second largest bank failure in american history is that right that's right and and the 16th largest bank in the country prior to their failure Mm. um so Silicon Valley Bank, it's a classic run on a bank. This this bank had a very niche clientele. It was venture capital firms. In fact, there's 1,200 companies in this country that are being funded with venture capital dollars. One half of them banked with Silicon Valley Bank. Okay. In- you needed to have like $2 million to even bank with Silicon Valley Bank. You needed to be a C-suite level a tech person or be a founder of a startup. So they had this very niche clientele and naturally most of their customers because of what happened to the technology sector in the stock market over the course of the last year, tech stocks were down 30, 40, 50% in 2022. Mm-hmm. Most of these venture capital firms were not cashing checks. They were not depositing money into their bank account. They were spending it for payroll and you know, capital expenditures. So in and of itself, the bank was against the ropes because their clientele weren't putting money into their accounts. They were taking money out of their accounts. Couple that with the bank's awful management of interest rate risk. So when you put your money into a bank account, that bank is going to either lend it out via a mortgage or a small business loan or an auto loan or a credit card, or maybe they'll buy some bonds. What Silicon Valley Bank did was they bought a number of long-term U.S. treasuries with a yield of, I think, 1.8% was the, was the bulk of them. Okay. So naturally, what happens to a bond when interest rates go up 300%? 
no one wants to buy your bond that you bought that's yielding 1.8% when they can now get a bond that's yielding 4%. Mm. So you've got these two things working in unison. Their customers are pulling money out of their accounts, and when they pull their money out of their accounts, the bank needs to sell their bonds. Now, if they were able to hold their bonds to maturity, all would be right, the bond would mature, the bank would get all their money back. But because they had to sell their bonds early... In order to make the depositors whole like the depositors were coming and wanting to pull their money out and they had to sell these treasury bonds earlier than expected in order to give them that money is that what it is exactly you're selling bonds at a loss in order to satisfy your depositors withdrawals Mm. you're losing money now here's where the cryptocurrency comes in i don't know what barney frank's talking about but (laughs) you would think someone with his uh you know checkered past would probably just not talk (laughs) um but he can't help himself so Because Silicon Valley's bank's balance sheet was so weak because of the two things I just described, they needed to raise capital in order to kind of fortify their balance sheet. Mm -hmm. So the same week they went to raise capital, a bank called Silvergate Bank, which is primarily a cryptocurrency bank, has zero affiliation with Silicon Valley Bank other than the fact that most of the cryptocurrency projects – are in a similar eco-chamber as Silicon Valley types, that bank went belly up. So that in and of itself doesn't look good um, for Silicon Valley Bank when they're trying to raise money. Someone at Silicon Valley Bank wrote a letter to investors, which I'd love to see the copy on this letter, but to my understanding, it was god-awful. It did not inspire hope. In fact, it scared the daylights out of anyone who read it. And they sent this letter out to their investors saying, we need to raise $500 million because we want to, like, you know, fortify our, our, our balance sheet. And then Peter Thiel, who's probably the greatest venture capitalist investor of all time, he runs a fund called the Founders Fund. He came out and he notified all of his venture capital firms within his Founders Fund to pull your money from Silicon Valley Bank. So you've got this niche clientele, and they all jump on Twitter and look at each other through their nostrils. Because they all know each other, right? I mean, they're all in the same industry, and they all are in the same chat groups, and they follow the same exact trade magazines and things like that. And they're all investing in here. And and it just spread like a wildfire. Everyone started running to Silicon Valley Bank. This is not an issue with leverage. Uh, It's not an issue with exotic financial products. In fact, I'd argue to say some people are saying, hey, this is just the tip of the iceberg. A bunch of banks are going to fail now. Mm. Not every bank has such a niche group of clients. Silicon Valley Bank had a really unique thing in that their clientele were were really isolated to one industry. Yeah. uh, That being high tech. So that that seems like a lack of diversification, though, right? Is that not like antithetical to like risk aversion? They, they're hyper-focusing in a single aspect. This is where this is where it gets fun, right? Because I, I see two sides. I think the bailout or the infusion of depositors as a small business owner, the other thing that's unique about Silicon Valley Bank, 93% of their deposits were uninsured, right? So FDIC insurance yeah. protects us up to $250,000 per tax ID number. Mm-hmm. So with this bank, because of how affluent their depositors were, only 7% of their deposits were actually insured by FDIC, the other 93%. So th- this is where it gets fun, you know, as a, a as a, someone who votes with their right hand on the other side of the country. You know, most Silicon Valley depositors voted for Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi and Diana Feinstein. 
So it's fun to kind of laugh at them now, and, and naturally everyone kind of wants to eat the rich. <laughs> and you're right, you know, like these are the same people who believed in a single payer healthcare system because the law of large numbers and you know helping out lots of different businesses, not just us hoity-toity Silicon Valley types, uh, lends itself to a better society. So there's a ton of hypocrisy here. You're absolutely right. If you want to hedge yourself against risk, you don't put all your eggs in one basket, meaning you don't just bank with one sector of, of the economy. You're absolutely right. There is a risk management uh, conversation to be had there. But where I, where I, where I want to get your take, and I almost want you to kind of you know, chomp back at me because Lord knows your listeners will, <laughs> I do think the Fed and the Treasury should have come in and made depositors whole. Now, that doesn't mean that stockholders of Silicon Valley Bank or bondholders or any of their brass should be made whole. Those people should be wiped out. They should be tar and feathered. They should be banished from the industry. Unfortunately, you and I both know they're not. They're probably going to fail up just like a politician. Mm -hmm. But I do look at these depositors with some level of, of pity. I can just tell you, my little rinky-dink company, we've got 20 employees. I regularly have deposits above FDIC limits. Of course. Why? Because I need to make payroll every two weeks. Right. So, so if you're a company with 200 employees – Regardless of if those employees are woke or how liberal or the worldview there is, I, I don't think it's their responsibility to audit their company's banking relationship. I don't even think it's the founder of the, the, the venture capital company to – like it's their job to, to audit the bond exposure and the duration of the bank's portfolio. I think it was the FDIC's job. I think it was the federal government's job. So I do think that there needed to be some sort of intervention. But I, un unfortunately, how does the government intervene? They intervene by basically saying every single bank under God's green earth now has uh, unlimited bailout funds. Uh, I think it could have been handled. And a I think bit that's more. scary, right? Like that's that's really what I think has a lot of people a little concerned because you have these these depositors, and like you said, FDIC insurance is two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And so you have these depositors with over that, and now if, if let's say, a depositor had a million dollars in, well, the federal government is going to cover their whole million dollars rather than just the 250000 uh, And, of course, they say that it's going to be, you know, it's bank fees with the FDIC, but there aren't enough bank fees that have been paid in really to cover a lot of this stuff, especially if there are two or three other banks like this that collapse. And I, and I do think – I think that most – this is, this is what I think the real problem is. I don't think that the nuanced conversation about the difference between bailing out investors and giving you know those 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 beautiful golden parachutes out to management, I don't think that that's been it's been explained adequately that that is separate from what's happening here. Where and I think you're right because I would uh, I would challenge anyone out there to find a single person who has read through every single agreement of what that bank does when when you go to a bank to open a small business they give you a whole packet full of information and if you don't have a financial degree which you do but if you don't you're not really going to understand what they're saying you just expect that the bank and i think you should rightfully expect that the bank is going to handle their business correctly so when you say that these people who who have been given or, or who are going to be made whole the depositors 
I don't think that that's an issue either. I can't even really push back on you on that. As long as, I guess, as long as we learn something from it moving forward. That doesn't seem to be happening. And and that's the frustrating thing. And, And just to play devil's advocate, probably the most vocal proponent of not bailing out the depositors is a guy by the name of Vivek Ramaswani who's running for president. Uh, and he's kind of leading the charge uh, against woke America. He was a biotech far brilliant, brilliant guy. I got to meet him up at Columbia mm. at an event uh, that Curtis Loftus hosted. His take is you should have known better. You should have kept your deposits under $250,000. And uh, he shines a light on companies like Roku. Roku had like $450 million in the bank. Well, they should know better at- though, right? Roku should. That's idiotic, right? Yeah, they, they, you should know if you've got a company that large, like you should get wiped out. So his take is the depositors should get wiped out too. And in order to keep their businesses going, they should reach out to venture capitalists, private equity, other investors. Mm. And the founders of those companies should dilute their ownership of the company in order to keep their business alive. And it's you, kind of you ruthless, agree with that? but he's got a point. So do you agree with that, or you, you hold a separate view, though? I, so I, 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 I get what he's saying, mm-hmm. right? But I, I don't think there's enough money out there to keep every one of these businesses alive. And, and maybe I look at this situation through my little worldview, my little lens. I look at it like, hey, is there a, a, a company who had their money with Silicon Valley Bank with 20, 30 employees – you know, who had a million dollars in there is going to get wiped out because those are the companies that would not be able to secure the financing. So you got a person who poured their blood, sweat and tears into a business that's getting run out of a garage and they're going to lose their company because of exactly what you just lined item. Now, no one's reading the materials of their bank. They just expect their bank to, to do right. So so Vivek has actually come out and said, like, hey, if your dollar deposits were under a certain amount, you should be made whole. But if they were over a certain amount. You should you should um, you know lose your shirt. I see. I see what he's saying, but it seems a little bit ruthless because if if you were to take his his stance, a lot of people would lose their job. A lot of people who, in my opinion, are innocent. Now I get it. Like I love to see you know bleeding heart liberal people fall on their face as much as the next guy. Right. But it's not their fault that they're employer chose to bank with this little regional bank exactly right and here's the here's the shrapnel that comes from this too Corey, which i think is the most troubling silicon valley's bank's failure has been the best thing ever for the big four banks meaning wells fargo bank of america jp morgan and chase Mm -hmm. those banks are some of the wokest banks on the face of the earth like they're not financing energy projects that are profitable because of poor ESG scoring. They're on the front lines of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, they can afford that, right? Like they can afford that they have, they have enough capital to afford the, the like, whereas Silicon Valley bank or, or these other smaller banks that also have to uh, abide by these ESG rules just to be able to play in the league they're the ones that are going to suffer when this type of stuff happens. But the big banks, like you said, the big four, they can afford it, right? And they will benefit because people are like, well, I need to be with a bank that's too big to fail. Yeah, we, we've got some good regional banks here, right? Yeah. And, and truthfully, I, I bank with like four different places. And one of my accounts is with Wells Fargo, you know, the big bad evil 
company. But the regional banks that I bank with are way more responsive. They treat me like a human being. If I need lending, like they don't make me jump through hoops and try to fit me in this little box I don't fit in. Like it's a better banking experience. Those banks right now are being punished because naturally holders of, of assets in those banks are kind of freaking out going, man, I better get my money over to Wells Fargo or JP Morgan or, or Bank of America because they're big and they're too big to fail. Mm-hmm. So what the government did is you know, was to try to quell that by saying, hey, all these regional banks, we're going to make your deposits whole above $250,000. But there needs to be some repercussions above and beyond that. And it's also, you know, before we get off the topic of Silicon Valley Bank, let's continue to kick them while they're down. This is a bank that gave hundreds of millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter. Right. So, you know, a bank's only job should be to, like, audit where the money's going. Black Lives Matter is probably the most idiotic charitable endeavor a person could have pursued. There was was zero accounting occurring there. There was zero uh, use of those monies for philanthropy. Uh, philanthropic efforts. I mean, it was just literally yeah. going to a couple of the founders. Proven embezzlement, proven fraud, nothing done, of course. But but at least from a financial perspective, they knew that that was happening. They knew. Like, there was no secret that Patrice Cullors was purchasing homes with the money. It was no secret in the financial sector where even though the the, the, the legal system might not be going after them, they knew that it was a bad investment and they still did it because – they needed an, a higher ESG score. And they based a lot of their stuff, correct me if I'm wrong, but they based a lot of their investments, they, they factored in ESG to extents that should definitely not have been, it shouldn't have they been factored in. They were pricing in. loans, right? So they were, so say like, you know, you and I are both hunting for a million dollar loan from a bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? All that bank should care about is, okay, how much assets does Adam and Corey have? What are their liabilities? What's their income flow? Let's look at their tax return for the last three years. Is there any, you know, uh, skeletons buried in these closets on the tax returns? Like, that's all they should care about if you're a bank. What is the propensity or what is the, you know, the percentage of me getting paid back and let me price that loan accordingly? Well, Silicon Valley Bank was repricing loans based off of pious, virtuous ESG metrics, right? So if someone had a rainbow flag on their Work Here website that says, oh, we believe in uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That gives them extra points towards a loan? Yeah, your, your loan's a little cheaper. Yeah, because I think right? a lot of people, they'll, they hear ESG, but I don't think it's really ever been broken down in a very simple term. So it's like, it, it really is like, what is the race of this person? What is their ethnicity? Uh, what what are their stated beliefs on social media? Does this company put out information backing this social justice issue or that? Isn't that really kind of what it boils down to? At least in the in the uh, context of giving loans out to a five hundred one c four perhaps or, or or a business that is doing what they're doing. Yeah, there's there's dozens and dozens of companies that assign ESG scores. There's all these different indices, right? There, we see. haven't agreed that one ESG score holds, you know, court above all. Like, there's all these different companies basically saying, "Oh, you're a good ESG actor. You're a bad ESG actor." You know, S and P has booted uh, Tesla from their ESG index, even though Tesla's creating a car with a zero carbon footprint and trying to populate Mars and. Whereas Coca-Cola, a company that caused a, a, a brown, sugary, obesity-causing drink that litters our, our world, 
has a higher ESG score than Tesla. So <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Like these ESG scoring uh, factors are total. Like who's the wokest? Who's saying all the right platitudes? Wet your finger, stick it in the air. And the people who are all in in that space, they they pretend that you know they're using these sophisticated metrics and they've got scorecards and gauges. But at the end of the day, it's just a judgment call mm-hmm. um, because it's like, oh, their rainbow flag is bigger on their website than this company's rainbow flag. Or oh, let's so- say that Corey Allen's business donated $10,000 to BLM, but Adam Curran's business donated 50000 That puts you at a higher position. My loan's cheaper now. Okay. Uh, if, if, if Silicon Valley Bank, God rest their soul, is still around, I have a cheaper <laughs> loan because I gave more to Black Lives Matter. <laughs> so let me – okay. So I want to talk about the ESG just for a few minutes. But first I want to ask you, we've seen uh, – so I, I just I just saw that Credit Suisse is uh, – Credit Suisse, I say Suisse – but I see that they're starting to collapse. So I've seen, you know, we saw Joe Biden say that this was because of Donald Trump and the rollbacks in 2018 uh, of the way they just, apparently they decided to roll back some of the Dodd-Frank stuff uh, in 2018 when it came to banks that were under 50 billion as opposed to banks that run, you know, at at, at $1 trillion. Do you think that that 2018 rollback had anything to do with this collapse and the current collapses we're seeing. So Dodd-Frank did not have much, by the way, of teeth in it. And the funniest thing about Barney Frank, which I, I, I can't, like his boyfriend at the time was the head of Fannie Mae, right? <laughs> so it's like the most, there's so much to unpack there. Um, but, you know, Dodd-Frank was applauded like it was this wonderful piece of legislation that shored up the financial system. What shored up the financial system was quantitative easing one, quantitative easing two, tar, par, a bunch of four-letter words. Okay. Basically, a truly trillion dollars of money got injected into the system. Right? That, that, that'll that solve most all Short financial term. plumbing issues if you just put one trillion dollars into the system. The, the, the scaling back of... Um, of Dodd-Frank legislation, the only thing that I've seen in my industry in particular mm-hmm. is the, there's something called the fiduciary rule, right? And, okay. And Trump came in and basically said, this is crazy. We're making people sign um, you know, 10 extra forms in order to do business with the financial person. And then Biden has since come in and basically rolled some of that back into place. Okay. I think it's Dodd-Frank in and of itself – if it was in its full form, would not have stopped this particular situation. This okay. is a classic run on a bank. Gotcha. Uh, and naturally, you know, you know, people who've got Trump derangement syndrome, like they're just always going to blame Trump. Twenty right. years from now, if there's a run on a bank, they'll figure out a way to blame Trump. Okay. This Dodd Frank had nothing in it to begin with, and the amount of changes or alterations that Trump made to it were minuscule, if anything at all. Okay. Okay, that's you know that's and that's kind of what I've what I've been seeing. I just you know I thought it was interesting that his four and a half minute speech he mentioned Trump twice in it, and it was just like that's strange. And then you hear a bunch of people going back and forth. It was just kind of a I don't know. It felt like he was just throwing some meat to the dogs of his base and saying, "Don't worry, guys, you can just say it's Trump's fault." 
Yeah, and if it was so important, you had a supermajority in order to short back up. You know, yeah. you elected not to. What, what this is, this is egg on the face of the regulators and the auditors. Regulators, right? yeah. These people watched this happen under their watchful eye. The 16th largest bank in the, the country went belly up. And to my understanding, people who I, I trust and are in the know, bond portfolios don't just go sour overnight. Mm. Like, Anyone could have looked at the duration of the bonds they held. Even my little rinky-dink company, like my clients are smart enough not to want to buy bonds in a zero-interest environment that are over you know, five, ten years. A lot of the bonds on Silicon Valley's balance sheet were ten-plus years. So, so it's the regulators, it's the auditors. Not Trump's fault. It's not racism's fault. It's not God knows what else they want to blame it on. It, right. it's, the, it's the regulators. Okay. Okay. That's absolutely okay. So, uh, so, so there's no question, though, in your mind that making loans and investments and things of that nature based upon uh, the, the, the myriad examples of ESG scores, because like you said, there's not a single one so you're trying to please all of them and they there's probably a lot of mutually exclusive things that if you're if this group says your ESG score is high for x reason this other group will say oh that's your your score is going to drop because of that exact same reason so there's this not there's not a real central idea of of what makes an ESG score high but but silicon valley by all accounts ranked very high in ESG very high so let me just ask you so that because I want to talk about uh, your anti ESG ETF a little bit, but let me just ask you: Is there any doubt in your mind that Silicon Valley's bank's interest in ESG scores played some role in people losing faith in it and going and running on it? Well, I don't think their depositors left. Silicon Valley Bank because of their interest in ESG because most of their depositors were in Silicon Valley and they vote with their left hand and you know they love ESG. I do think that Silicon Valley's attention being paid to ESG might have taken their eye off the ball and how to run a good business. Right, which um, which then led to some legitimate actual failures and those actual failures and that led to that panic potentially well i wonder here'd be a good question to ask uh the depositors uh last saturday when we weren't sure there was a bailout happening uh you know someone who had a million dollars uh at the potential of being lost had they not gotten the bailout uh ask that depositor how they feel about the diverse board that silicon valley put together you know oh okay they had not, okay. not, not so good about it i'd really like the board to run the bank properly i don't care uh you know about the sexual orientation of the risk manager right now i don't know so, how we failed we have three gay guys on the board exactly <laughs> you know so so that that could help right as, as someone who believes in merit-based thinking and companies okay. should be designed like meritocracies the fact that they were focusing their eyes and ears on on diversity equity and inclusion and esg factor scoring that can't lend itself to running a business problem that's why we ran our that's why we created our etf Corey. Yeah. our whole etf is based on the idea of I don't care about ESG. Like, if you want to get together with your friends and drink wine and talk about ESG, be my guest. But as soon as it starts creeping into the boardroom, as soon as you want to start making business decisions based off of 
Uh, virtue signaling and woke platitudes, that's when we're out. I don't want any of my investors' money going into to businesses that are making choices like that. Absolutely. And uh, full disclosure before we talk, start talking about this, I do have uh, some money invested. Not not a lot, not some life-changing amount, but just to, just enough to kind of follow uh, it, it is on Robinhood. That's where I where I invested in it, and uh, you know it's on the New York Stock Exchange, right? And uh, it's called Y'all, so it's Y A L L, which I love. Anyway, <laughs> by the way, it's up for ticker of the year. Uh, really? I think I think we'll win it. I'm just guessing, wetting my finger and sticking it in the air. I think we'll win it. I think we we have the best ticker that was launched. Uh, on the public traded markets this year. And it is actually at this moment in time, <laughs> just, you know, I don't want to tell people too much about our financial situation, but it is the only stock that I have right now that is green. <laughs> it's the only one that's green right now. Um, so it's done, it's done well. And tell people a little bit about why. Okay. So you decided that you wanted to invest in businesses and create an ETF, which stands for what? Exchange traded fund. It's almost like a mutual fund that trades like a stock. So by buying one share of our ETF, you own about 40 businesses. Now the way we chose the businesses, uh, is basically what we did is we took the S&P 500, so the 500 biggest companies in this country, or, or basically all stocks with a market cap over a billion dollars, and then we just started boycotting and eliminating businesses from the investment universe that, in our opinion, were making political and social activist statements. Okay. Right? So if the company decided to come out and release a press release surrounding Florida's parental rights and education bill, they're gone. They're booted from the investment universe. If a company decided to sign the We Stand for Democracy pledge after uh, Georgia's election reform, Mm. they're gone. If a company gives money and then showboats and grandstands to Black Lives Matter, we get rid of them. Uh, You wouldn't believe the number of companies that felt the need to have their CEO on Talking Head TV uh, after the Supreme Court ruling of um, Roe v. Wade being a state's right. Right. these companies can't help themselves. Most of them are based in liberal epicenters. Something comes across the newswire that has nothing to do with their business. The PR departments, the social media departments feel the need to march out their opinion. And in our opinion, as investors, it is not good business yeah. to alienate and tick off 49 to 51% of your potential customers, your investors, your employees. When so you could have just shut said, up and, and and not had anything to do with it, right? Exactly. Now, it's one thing like, you know, if they're talking about changing uh, FAA legislation and Delta decides to chime in. Oh, yeah. no, but Delta, Delta wants to chime in on Georgia's election reform. Like, it has nothing to do with your business model. So it just okay. seemed like a shrewd investment thesis. When I saw the woke stuff coming... I was like, has everyone lost their, their, their minds? Why are publicly traded businesses making divisive statements? And, you know, I, I, I speak my book. I know my people. So I'm having conversations day in and day out with, with customers who are saying, Adam, I believe in the stock market. It's been very good to me. I believe the American dream is alive and well. I want to own stocks. I want to bet on America. But I'll be darned if any of my money is going to XYZ company. Do you hear what they just said? Or mm-hmm. ABC company, did you see their social media posts? And you've reported on all of them, but 
we just decided to, you know, let people start to vote with their investments because there's been nothing quite like that. When I looked at the market, because my clients were asking for it, yeah. so I said, all right, maybe someone already invented this. You I looked think. out at the market, there was nothing. There was a few conservative funds out there, but most of those conservative funds were kind of old, crusty oil companies and industrial companies. Like neocon you know, companies... type. Yeah, I, I yes. understand what you mean. So, you know, our biggest holding in our fund right now is Tesla. And okay. I know a lot of conservatives don't like electronic cars and stuff, but, you know, uh, I think that company embodies the American dream. I think Elon I think Musk right. is becoming, like, literally the poster child for free speech. Uh, and it's an innovative company that, that's been good for, for, for growth for us. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud of it, and I uh, appreciate you saying you own a couple shares. That, that's cool. I do, and, and I'll tell you, um, so, I, and I think that, that, that that's one of those things that does have, it's, an un, it's almost like an untapped market. So this is, this is one of the, actually not one of the few, and it's literally the only ETF that people can go and invest in where – they can they can rest assured that the 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 companies that they are investing in are not sitting out here with a DEI person in in charge of their Twitter account going out and saying no you don't understand men are women or or things like that like th- this is really the only ETF that bases at this point I think with all the ESG stuff that's really take taken hold of corporate America and you know the world really the western world in general but it's the only one where people can say this etf is based on business model rather than social justice issues and, yeah and, and and naturally as conservatives you know because we like to use our brain and think we don't just like you know march around and, and cheer for whatever we're told to cheer for right uh if you look at our holdings sometimes people take exception like i had uh one of our holdings is like southwest airlines and okay someone worked someone worked at southwest airlines and they go oh they made me wear a rainbow pin and uh you know you, you better give them a good hard look because well all i could say is this most of these companies are based out of liberal epicenters like i said mm-hmm. they might have some leadership that vote with their left hand and, and that's fine. That's part of living in a free, democratic country. Mm-hmm. But where we take exception is when you start making activist statements, political or social. When you start using your soapbox as a publicly traded company to chime in on these issues, I can't control who the people I work for, who work for me, vote, right? And, and you shouldn't their... be able to. Exactly. And that's a great thing about this country. So, so naturally, if you look at all of our holdings, sometimes people cast stones and go, oh, well, that company, I heard they're this. I can just promise you, all of the companies that are in our ETF right now, none of them made public statements about any of those topics. And that's what we're proud of. Right. And, and public business decisions. Like, like, like we, we used the example earlier of, you know, donating hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to the BLM movement and things like that. Like, of course, you, you like you said, there's no way to control what each individual board member or manager at a company that employs 30,000 people, you know, you, that's just, that's, that's unrealistic. I'll give, another, I'll give you another case in point. And, and this is where I think like our little ETF uh, is starting to win the battle, quite frankly. One of our holdings is Costco, right? Uh-huh. And if you walk around, and look at the shelves of Costco. Like, do you think you're going to find a company that's woke? I mean, Kellogg's literally decided to make gay Pop-Tarts. Um, you know, so so 
like you're gonna find items on their shelves that might not fit your worldview. But Costco has come out, and you can go right to their website and it says, and they say point blank, we do not make comments related to politics or social activism issues. That is where we stand. We want all of our customers to feel included here, and, they, and I want all of our customers to know that this company is not going to make um, uh, comments on these types of issues. So, and, and that's all you can that ask for, right? More. You're seeing that more and more, which is yeah. great to see. I think you're right. I think you're right, man. And uh, and I hope that everybody out there at least goes and takes a look at it's Y A L L on the New York Stock Exchange, right? And just, you know, give it a look. And also, especially if you're in South Carolina, take a look at Curran Financial Partners. Adam Adam Curran, you, you also have a show. I know it's in Charleston. It's every Saturday. And sometimes it replays on Sunday. Uh, in Charleston area at 94.3 uh, on, on FM radio. Where else are you? Where, where else is your weekly show? Yeah, so our, our, yeah, our little radio show started like a 15-minute spot. And now it's on like 15 hours. We're up in Myrtle Beach. Okay. We're up in Columbia. We're down in uh, Savannah, Hilton Head. And, and then also uh, in Charleston here. So Definitely, um, guys, check it out. Usually, um, I'll tell you, when I listen to like the real estate shows and things like that on the weekend, I'm bored to tears. But <laughs> you definitely keep it interesting. And you've got a lot to, to say. We, we try to, man. Yeah, man. And, you know, I really do appreciate you kind of joining us and, and letting us get an inside view in what's happening because I'll tell you, you do speak the, the, the language of the normal person rather than the, uh, you know, masters in finance language that nobody understands. And well, they don't, here's the thing that's so troubling to me. They don't even understand it. Like right. it's just this peacocking contest of who can use, you know, the Greek alphabet better. And, oh, so it's like a gender yeah. studies degree now. Yeah, cool. Pretty, exactly. <laughs> cool guys. So, uh, thanks. Thank you so much, Adam Curran for, for joining us. Uh, I hope that this has been enlightening to the people. Give us a website where people can go. Cause I know you have a book out too. That's free. Yeah, Free book. Extra, extra. It's a retire y'all.com retire y'all.com. Yeah. So, Thanks, man, for joining us, and and we will definitely keep up on this situation with you. Is there any reason for people to go out and start hoarding toilet paper? No, I don't think no. so. No, um, I, I think that this this story will go away in short order. But with the, the, like I said, the troubling thing is, you know, no one is getting shamed. We need to go back to the days where you would put the uh, you know the, the petty thief in town square and everyone would throw tomatoes at them. Like, that's not the result here, unfortunately. Someone needs to uh, be held accountable. Unfortunately, I don't think our government has the capacity to do that. So you heard it here first, guys. If anybody has some rotten tomatoes and wants to do a carpool to Silicon Valley, uh, we'll uh, we'll do that. Now, that was me saying that. That's not Adam. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Mark.